So what we've been doing is studying the um, study report of the PCA that was really designed for this kind of purpose to help uh, teach in church, local churches. In the presenting issue that most of you probably are aware of, you know, the cultural moment we're in um, with so much confusion about um, biblical sexuality. Well, sexuality is where the confusion is. We have to go to the Bible, though, to find out how to understand sexuality because of sin, because of how sin has skewed our natural ability to interpret things. And so the world does its best effort to try to explain things, why we feel the way we feel or how we think we're oriented or any of these things that we sense about ourselves. But the world is at a loss because it doesn't know this much about itself um, that we're under sin. And so that means we're unable by our natural... ...value in natural, uh, uh, natural observation and such... But it always renders, uh, it leaves us short on many issues, especially issues related to our humanity, the way we sense things around us. Our senses are, are messed up because of sin and what it's impacted, how it's impacted. Now, if you don't believe sin has an impact, you really have a high view of your ability to interpret stuff, and that's kind of the place the world finds itself in. And it tells people to no help to them, the reason why you feel this way is because this is how you are. And that's terrible advice because they know ultimately they're struggling with it. Just you telling them that does not set them free. They know there's still something amiss. There's a sense they have. So we have to have God help us understand from his perspective. And that's what the scriptures, that's what the Bible is. It's God's special revelation to give us kind of a blueprint, an understanding of of anthropology, of humanity, of many other things. But we have to know who we are in order to then cope with how we feel. Why do I feel this way? What does this feeling come from? Should I trust these feelings? And so this report was given as uh, a way to help us think biblically. Now it's also given in reaction to the, the, this could apply in any time and age, but the specific issue in the American, uh, in American Christianity is hits the PCA just as it's hit all denominations that are evangelical that believe in the scriptures as the authoritative word of God. The world's pressing um, categories of identity and such upon us, and so it's caused, you know, it causes confusion even among our members. And so as people look for answers and the world tells them how to label themselves, how to identify and such, um, we have to go to Scripture to see what category Scripture gives so we can, can live faithfully. It's not just about living faithfully. That's most important, of course, but even our sense of joy or how we experience life is helped by what the Scripture says. It will help us feel better. I, I use that word um, loosely, but since we talk so much about how we feel and sense, our feelings and our senses will be better served when we have truth guiding them. We'll always have some struggle this side of glory. We just have to recognize that. Um, but the issue in particular as it relates to sexuality that's really pressed it is, is the issue of homosexuality um, in, in one's orientation as it's described in world terms and then all the other connected aspects. The issues about gender, confusion about gender, um, not just homosexuality but other, uh, other the whole LBGTQ uh, agenda or discussion or categories that the world places. You know, how do these um, work in the Christian in the Christian church? And some in the Christian church who would believe the Bible and believe the gospel will say, um, they'll say the portion of the gospel that talks about homosexuality is, is dated and it's not for us now and they accept full-on homosexual lifestyle. That's side A. Uh, they call it side A Christianity. I don't think that can be Christianity because if you adopt a sinful activity and say and go again that you're declaring something um, that's against God's word and God's law so you can't call that Christian any longer 
That's not the issue so much in our denomination or in, Christ, in Bible-believing circles. It's the, the connected side B Christianity, the idea that, no, we recognize the biblical sexual ethic and the marital ethic is for a man and a woman to be married. Uh, it's a monogamous relationship between those two, and there's men and there's women, and we, we acknowledge the Bible says all that. But we, because of the fall, have a disorder in they, we being, and they have all sorts of labels for what they might be struggling with. It could be gay. They'll say, gay, I'm, a, I'm a gay Christian, but I'm celibate, because I recognize I have to be. Gay celibate Christianity, that's side B Christianity. And what um, the report's trying to do is say, uh, that's, that, I, that's not as severe, obviously, as side A, but what you're saying is a denial, ultimately, of several things. One of them is God's sanctification as we understand the gospel's impact in our life to help transform us or help impact those things. The side B person will say, no, I can never be changed. This is always my orientation. This is my identity. So therefore it is what it is. I know that I can't act, you know, out, I can't act out with it. It's a result of the fall in general. It's not my specific personal fault, but it's the way it is. Whereas what we've discovered is scripture says that even our, even our feelings were personally culpable for those. They're sin in themselves. Our, our flesh is sinful in everything the feelings and the affections we have, the desires, they're all sinful that flow, not all, but they, our sin f- comes from this as well. We're not, um, uh, in, in God says the gospel addresses those things and helps to change those, starts to take, make headway against those sinful desires and such. And we expect that at some level because that's the work of the gospel in us. That's the work of Christ in us. So that's where a major rub comes when we discuss this issue. Um, we, don't think it's, it, we don't think it's a biblical it's not a wise thing, it's not a biblical thing to take on that as our identity, the sinful struggle we have. And that brings us to today, this whole matter of identity, um, how we describe ourselves. So let's pray, ask God to give us guidance, and then I'll walk through this statement that you should have in your hands. Let's pray. Lord, please give help as I try to do my best to honor your word and what I say. I pray that it would be helpful to the brethren here gathered. In Jesus' name, amen. On the issue of identity, what do I mean? Because there's lots of debate about how valuable this term is. This is what I mean, though, in the most practical terms. Your identity, how you characterize yourself or how you might be categorized. Um, What labels you, uh, or I should say it this way, what labels would you own? Would you say that's that's true of me, that you would accept, that you would uh, even give for yourself if you describe yourself to others? Now I'm talking just this most general terms. And I'm not saying that there's something wrong with some of these identifying features. I'm just describing what identity is, is thought of. How you might think of yourself or others might think of you in categorical terms. Um, your identity might be how you line up with, with things, whatever they may be. How, uh, what describes who you are. Um, how you see or perceive yourself. What moniker describes, uh, describes you or is attributed to you. These are the, this is what I'm talking about when we talk about identity. Now, normally, identity, it has to do with who you are, um, not what you do as such. Although there's times in which we, by our vocation, may be called something. It's what we do. Uh, but some would say, that's who I am, too. And there's debate about, about you know, even the, the word identity can be a challenge, no doubt. But let's just keep it as simple as possible. Um, to identify based, though, on, say, a sinful desire, like we're talking about when we're talking about um, gay Christianity, um, that makes very little, really reasonable sense, little biblical sense. Now, what I mean by this, when someone identifies himself as, say, I'm a gay celibate Christian, I'm a gay Christian, say it that way, when you use the term gay in that respect, the thought I would have, or most people would have, is that means you're practicing homosexuality, 
Otherwise, why would you call yourself gay? Uh, because there isn't really, a, there is no identifying feature except for one that we've made up in recent years that says somebody is gay. That's who they are. What they do sexually or what they desire sexually is who they are. Um, our sexual uh, preferences or practices aren't our identifying features, even in worldly terms up until recent years. So if someone says, for a Christian to say, I'm a gay Christian, well, what do you mean? You're a practicing homosexual Christian? Because it says that if you just say, I know God says I shouldn't do this, but I do it anyways, and, I, and I'm going to put it before I say Christian, what does that communicate? I mean, it's, now I understand that the mindset is saying, I'm struggling with something, please have patience with me, and this is, I know that's, that's what's described, is why we call ourselves this when someone says, I call myself that because that category is such a difficult category to be in today, and I want my fellow Christians to know it, and I struggle with it, I feel, and, and they mean well by saying it. Now it doesn't, it, it's a bit selfish and self-centered because it doesn't consider all the myriads of other things someone else is struggling with. I'm an opi opioid addicted Christian. I just want you to know, I, I'm a liar Christian. I'm, I'm a murderous Christian. I'm, and so forth and so on. We just don't do it with anything else. This is because we've taken a cue from the world a bit and we've adopted it and it's become a term that's lost what it means. To be gay means to be practicing homosexuality. Doesn't mean, it, it could mean in, in action or it could mean in thought, whatever the case. Um, the point being is the label itself um, is really confusing for fellow Christians especially. So really Christians who are struggling with same-sex attraction, they're Christians, they know their identity in Christ. It, my best counsel is you shouldn't use this label. This, this isn't a label that's helpful to who you are in Christ. And, and we'll unpack that a little further. But this is why, this is a, a real controversial issue among believers um, who want to use the word gay Christian, or they'll talk about themselves as being gay, yet they're a believer who believes in the Bible, believes in the gospel, doesn't think you, could, you should act out on homosexuality, but what they mean is act out on it in, in action. But thoughts are, uh, you know, what, what about our thoughts and what do those mean? So don't identify yourself by the sin you're struggling with. Now, a Christian can absolutely struggle with same-sex attraction. It's just, it's just an unwise, if not outrightly unbiblical thing to label yourself that. Um, and that's true of any of the sins that we commit. That's not who you are anymore. I know there are practical reasons why when you're in a small group session with other alcoholics that you might say, I'm Tony, I'm an alcoholic. What do I mean by that? I've struggled with this. I know if I had another... You know, and that's a, that there's a different usage when you're talking in that counseling context or with a few people and you're describing for someone what your struggle is rather than publicly saying who I am. And, this, and then being public identified by a large group of people who think the same way. Well, what way do you think? Because the way it sounds to me is that you're promoting this as being okay. Um, and no, we're not. Well, but that's what it communicates. So it's kind of an appeal to fellow Christians within the church who are tempted to use this label to not use this label. That's the point that the report is trying to get at, and that's kind of the way I'm, I'm expressing it to you. I don't have hope of changing the world's mind on this, but I think for Christians who are in Christ, all of us should accent that identity as first and foremost, and then have honest conversations about what we struggle with. There's no issue there. I hope that's been clear over the course of the class. Um, if you struggle with same-sex attraction, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian, because uh, we all struggle with something. It's just how you attack it and how you see God's work in your life having impact. That's where the issue comes. Um, I think one of the biggest problems with the whole side B push is that they are using secular categories for identity, for orientation, for sexuality, for gender. Um, and when they use these secular categories, it's confusing to fellow Christians and it's, it's, it's confusing to the Christian message that turns around being conf confusing to the world eventually. Um, 
so uh, a lot of times, though, when I have debates with people about this topic, friends that, that are from the side B angle, um, they'll tell me, Tony, you're just making, you're, you're being too technical about it. It's, it's really a semantic issue. It's just a matter of what, we have different meanings for the words. It's not right or wrong. Um, but I, I, don't think it, I don't think that's fair to say among believers. Ann Kennedy, who I'll refer to a couple times, is uh, an Anglican uh, writer, and she has an excellent paper that just came out about a week ago on this topic, and I'll refer to it a little bit. But Ann Kennedy said this about that semantic idea, that it's just a matter of semantics, just labels and terms. We shouldn't get too caught up in whether someone calls himself. It's what they really believe that matters. Um, Ann Kennedy said, rather than a purely semantic disagreement over whether or not to use the word gay, the language applied to selfhood and identity by side B advocates points to under, an underlying philosophical and theological assumption that Christians should identify themselves by sexual behavior and inclinations, grounding this identification in a secular gender ideology rather than the scriptures. Um, she says further, the Christian must say that whatever inclination, indulged or not, that derives from the fall and the corruption of the flesh that, sta that stands in conflict with the Bible's teaching on sexuality, that must be confessed as sin, not embraced as an identity, God does accept us, not on the basis of our various cobbled-together, human-devised identities, but because of who his son is. So our acceptance before God isn't because you're gay or you're gay. It's because of Jesus. That's the point for all of us, whatever the sin issue you come out of is. Um, so let's go to the statement and take it line by line. Um, the first line, uh, I'm going to read the first paragraph and then go back and do the first line. The first paragraph says, We affirm that the believer's most important identity is found in Christ. Christians ought to understand themselves, define themselves, and describe themselves in light of their union with Christ and their identity as regenerate, justified, holy children of God. To juxtapose identities rooted in sinful desire alongside the term Christian is inconsistent with, the biblical, language, with biblical language and undermines the spiritual reality that we are, are new creations in Christ. The first statement, we affirm that believers' most important identity is found in Christ. Hopefully you remember back to when I was preaching through Ephesians. This is a major part of the first two chapters of Ephesians is to clearly identify ourselves with Christ and what he's done. Um, and Romans says the same thing, and so does the, you know, the whole of the scriptures, but Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor any other, anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the thing that holds us most closely is the love of God to us in Christ. That for you, if you're a believer, is your primary identity. I know you don't walk around every day and say that as such, but that is what your primary. God of heaven looks at you in Christ. So God's identifying feature for anyone who lays, their, lays hold of Christ is Christ. It doesn't matter what your sins are, um, you have laid hold of Christ, and that's how God sees you. That is your primary, now eternal identity wrapped together with Christ. Uh, in Ephesians 1, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, you hear in him, in Christ, in the beloved, multiple times, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The most important realities about who you are as a human being are now found in Christ, wrapped up in who Jesus is. He is your primary identity. He's not one of the things you identify with. He is the 
most important uh, of all your identities. He's the main one. This is why when Paul's writing to the Colossians, he says, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. The old you, you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this is the key uh, verse from this Colossians passage. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Christ, who is your life, appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. The ultimate manifestation of this union with Christ is that you, Christ, who is your life, appears. This is your, your, it's, your identity is wrapped up in the person of Christ. We don't emphasize this enough about who we are. That's our primary, first level, most important way of thinking of ourselves and understanding who we are in God's eyes because of Christ. When a person comes to faith in Christ, uh, these several things come, happen simultaneous, uh, simultaneously. I mean, to be accurate, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth saying again. When you come to realize Jesus is your Savior, um, the Holy Spirit has already done this work in you to regenerate your dead soul. You wouldn't recognize Jesus as Savior otherwise. He made you alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2. That's what happens at the moment of regeneration. You're born again at that moment. Then you, uh, you recognize Christ as your Savior. You trust in Jesus. At that moment, when you rest on Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the realization of all these things have come together, and these realities become yours. You're justified before God. Now you're right before God because you're in Christ. You're in union with Jesus. You're adopted as his son or his daughter. That's the familial sense you have in, that you now have in Christ. Then from that moment, his adopted son or daughter, God's working with you and on you. He never stops. He, he started a work and he will not finish it till he's completed it. Uh, all these things become a reality in heaven and then on earth, as he works in us, the Holy Spirit begins this ongoing work of sanctification, and he leaves no part of your being untouched. Every aspect that was touched by the fall is now touched by Christ in some way. And he loosens the hold of the flesh on you. You don't see it completely let go until glory, but he starts that process of sanctification. That's a gospel process. It's his work of grace in our life, and that's true for any believer. This is the process of God moving in our life to make us love Christ more, more than our sin, to obey him more and more, at the same time causing us to hate our sin and try to flee from it. You know, the scriptures talks in 1 Peter 4 of God's varied grace or his, multi, uh, his multifaceted grace because there's so many ways in which his grace impacts us. Uh, there, it's truly manifold in all of its aspects to us. It's all undeserved and it's because of Christ and it impacts us in every way. Through the work of the Spirit, Christ becomes the Lord of our life in a very personal way. Now, when we're in rebellion and we're still truly a believer, he's not less Lord of your life. In fact, the conviction you feel as a believer is your Lord calling you back, uh, pressing you back. Um, so even when a true believer is trying to run away from God, he doesn't stop being your Lord. In fact, it just becomes the weight comes heavier because you recognize you can't run away from the one who's bought you and, and, and paid for your sins. He wants you to come back to him with humility and confession. That's the, that's the response to that conviction. So no aspect of our being is untouched by who we are in Christ. Now, I want to say about identities for a moment because the idea of identity is not wrong to think of on secondary and tertiary and so forth levels. You are all multiple, uh, you you're multifaceted people. Every one of you has got multiple ways in which you're identified. 
We occupy roles and responsibilities on earth, and so we're called certain things. Uh, we're all children of someone, so we're children. Um, we may be somebody's siblings, uh, so we're a brother or a sister. We're recognized that way. That's my brother, and that you, the person identifies you, and you are. You're a brother. Um, you could be married, so you're a husband or a wife. You might have children, so that, might, that, that makes you a mother or a father. Um, we could be trained in different vocations, like you all are probably. So what you do, you may identify with. You may be a teacher, a programmer, a welder, a pilot, a technician, a politician, whatever. Fill in the blank. You're known for that as well. That's an identifying feature. It's secondary. It's tertiary, but it's true. It's, it's something that identifies you. Um, Sometimes you have a hobby that might occupy a lot of your time, and so, so that, that person's a runner. They're a hardcore runner. They're running all the time. They're, they, they, they're a cycler. Uh, they're a dancer. They're, they're a beekeeper. That's what they do. They spend a lot of time doing that. A race car driver. They could be scrapbookers or photographers or you name it, some hobby that everyone knows us for, and you're identified by that a little bit. People are interested in their ethnic backgrounds. So they'll call themselves either German or, or Brazilian or whatever it may be. Um, you know, sometimes you hear people talk about, you see in our country, you know, I'm American. You know, you go somewhere else and you describe yourself as American. That says something to other people. All these things say something about who you are. Uh, in Christian circles, you might be known by our denominations, a Presbyterian, a Methodist, a Baptist, whatever. And that says something. We have all these ways in which we identify ourselves or we identify others that helps you, at least in your mind, maybe know someone a little better, some aspect of who they are. None of us would say that's a thorough explanation of who we are, but they're not wrong to have these various identifying features. All sorts of identifying monikers like this. And there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these earthly identities, so long as we realize none of these are primary. We have a primary identity. For Christians, our most important identity is Christ. Christ who is your life. Christ becomes that identity. Also, it tells us, or we learn, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So Christians, the next statement it says, the very next sentence, Christians ought to understand themselves, define themselves, and describe themselves in light of their union with Christ and their identity as regenerate, justified, holy children of God. In a couple of the verses that are given to support this statement in Romans 6, for we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So I mentioned all those secondary and tertiary identities because none of us would say, well, those make sense. We just keep them in place. But now, after reading what I just read in Romans... We've been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know our old self was crucified with him. Why would we ever take a sinful designation and identify ourselves that way? It doesn't mesh with the other kinds of identities that are legitimate, and it certainly doesn't mesh with who you actually are in Christ. No longer a slave to these things. You say, I still feel like a slave. I know you may feel that way. And it's a process, and you should engage it. But don't believe what the world's telling you, that the feeling is something you could trust, or it's defining you. That's the world talking to you. That's not God talking to you. And every one of us here has areas like this in our life where we feel like, boy, I don't know how I can see this defeated. But in Christ, you know that's not you, but I feel like it a lot. But your feelings lie to you. They're a tool of sin and maybe even a tool of the devil himself to destroy us. That's the point. And the last place you want to go is to an unbelieving world to find your solace. It won't give it to you. It'll only make it worse for you. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. He's just going against the very creation order that God's given. And listening you know, to the cues of the world will be the death of us, literally. It says further in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So we go to God for our identity, for what he says, who he says we are. And this is why this, this thing about labeling ourselves matters. It's a, it's a testimony or a statement of what we believe. It's a powerful thing to say, I am a, I'm a child of the living God. And then you're honest about the sins you're struggling with in discussion you know, among each other as believers. It's not to say you, you um, hide the truth about what you're dealing with. That's no way, that doesn't help any of us. But you're not putting it out in front of who you are in Christ. And that makes a lot of difference in our Christian walk. Uh, several other passages are given, but for the sake of time, let's move to the next statement. To juxtapose identities rooted in a sinful desire alongside the term Christian is inconsistent with the biblical language and undermines the spiritual reality that we are new creations in Christ. The passage referred to there is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, this consideration of our primary identity it also serves to warn Christians against embracing identities that are just popular in culture. Um, the followers of Christ, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I can't say it enough, we cannot take our cues from the world. The world is not our friend in this. The world's not even its own friend. Uh, the world will jump on itself the second they get a chance. I mean, just watch what's happening in our culture today. Every, there will be, everybody's going to cancel everybody before it's over. There will be nobody left standing because everybody's got too much baggage for someone else. And it's just that, that, that's what a, a clueless, raging world does with no direction. It turns on itself. So, beloved, if you struggle with this, do not go to the world for comfort. They're not there to help you. They're there to get you on something else. You will lose. You have to go to God for this and, and struggle with what God's giving you to struggle with. It won't stop being a struggle if you go to the world on this. It, it will get worse. It always ends up this way. Um, you know, a lot of the rage you see from people when a Christian message is given in rage against the Christian messages, the rage is internal. They're, they're just raging against anything that's calling them to account for the thing that they know internally ain't right. Um, and so they just keep going to places that will affirm them, and those places use them up and then spit them out, and then they go, and they're, and they're, they're mad at Christ. They're mad at the church. They're mad at... This, isn't, this is where you're going to find purpose in restoration and healing. You're not going to find it going... Back to your drug dealer. The drug dealer wants you to keep coming to them. They don't want you to get better. They don't want you to get off drugs. That's that kind of a thing. That's what we're talking about in this kind of sense. Um, the followers of Christ cannot take their cues from the world. And this is what the issue is with this whole matter of gay Christianity, as it's called. It leads to so much confusion, for sure. Um, I don't want to repeat some of these comments. Let's go to nevertheless, the next statement. Nevertheless... Being honest about our sin struggles is important. While Christians should not identify their, uh, with their sins so as to embrace it or to seek it or to base their identity on it, Christians ought to acknowledge their sin in an effort to overcome it. 
what I don't want to come from this kind of class or anything we say in the church is for somebody to say, you know, I do believe in Christ, but I can't seem to overcome these feelings. I think this is the way I am. And I hear what they're saying. I don't want to disappoint them and go talk to anyone about this. I don't want to be open about this. I don't know how to say that that's not what we want to communicate. You should be able to say anything that you're struggling with to Christians, and every other Christian should help the other Christian with that. Uh, We shouldn't ever have anything that someone feels uncomfortable bringing up in the church. I don't mean like just, you know, in every possible environment, but there are, there's really nothing that we can, we struggle with that we can't um, go to God's word and his grace concerning and have ministers of that grace. I don't mean, you know, pastors only, but fellow believers who will, who will accept you, and I mean by accept you, accept you in the struggle you're having and where you are and, and sometimes the, 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 the losses you suffer under that. Um, they should still accept you as a person who's in Christ and help you with those features that don't resemble Christ. And that's true for all of us. So, you know, really sharing, and you do this interpersonally, if someone brings something up with you, you know, your response should be, if someone says, I'm struggling with this sin, your only response should be, how can I help? What can I do? I feel for you. I struggle too. That's the response, like, holy cow, I can't believe, oh man, you're the only one. I mean, I don't know one really means to do that, but you got to check sometimes because we do come off in ways that we, we just don't think we, we do. Well, I never, I never felt, someone said that to me one time, some years ago, I had a friend who after many years came and told me, I, kinda, I knew he struggled in some respects with this, but um, I love him, and, and he wasn't asking me for particular input on it, and we weren't that close. But years later, he came and told me what he's struggling with. And I said, man, why didn't you talk to me about this earlier? I would have he goes, well, I just, I, you, go, you just kind of came off like you, know, you, you wouldn't have understood. He said, I'd be judgmental, but I wouldn't have understood. And uh, that, that really hurt, because I try to think of myself as not jaw-dropping every time someone says, because I could have the same sin or worse than you do. So I don't know how to stress and how it looks like. Some of you are just really naturally empathetic and compassion a way that you are approachable. Praise God for that in you. Um, but we just have to see culture change that way among Christians in order for there to be a real address of this. Because I think there's a lot of people who genuinely struggle with this, but they don't feel like they can get the actual help and support from the people in the church that they go to. Even though they like everything about it, there's just this feature that's such an issue to them. And that's got to change. I, I mean, it just has to change among us as believers, I don't mean just redeemer, I just mean Christians in general, have to be able to, to interact with each other on a very, very transparent level with whatever sins they are. Because this issue is, is such a difficult one to bear under because of what the world's telling and the world's saying. And especially as the world turns on the church more and calls us you know, abusers because we're telling someone who's a guy who thinks they're a girl that you're thinking wrong, just those words make you, you know, uh, somehow assailing them or using hate speech or whatever other uh, kind of thing there is. So it will become more and more difficult to be biblically transparent with one another. Um, but I think this phrase, being honest about our sin struggles, is important. Uh, don't identify, but yes, we've got to be able to acknowledge these things and to move on. And so identifying your, I think the starting point, if you struggle with these, this particular issue, but it's true for every issue we struggle with, I have to go back to who I am in Christ. So when I'm tempted to be dishonest or spin stuff, you know, like to make myself look better, if that's my issue, I, and I, I sense the conviction of God because I have not told the truth in some area, or I've, I've, I, maybe you've never had this happen, but you walk away from a conversation, you're like, okay, it wasn't a lie, but I really spun that to make myself look good. And the Spirit of God convicts you because it is a lie. Um, and, and what's your response to that? Well, hopefully it's to go back and say, you know what I told you wasn't right. Forgive me. And, and, and then acknowledge that, that 
But then don't sit there and wallow under it. That's not who I am in Christ, is a liar. In fact, the fact that I knew it was a lie and confessed a lie shows that, that the Spirit of God's working, right? So it's a very uh, integral component to fighting sin is to recognize your identity in Christ and go back to that. And that identity comes from the gospel, right? From trusting in him. So it's not just the declarative aspect of the gospel declares you righteous in Christ, but also the transformative effect that helps you start to walk in the new identity that you have. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And the old has passed away refers to the sin that once controlled us. The old refers to our former slavery to sin. The old refers to our old nature, which defined us before. The old has passed away, means our former identity is no more in Christ. Now we're in Christ. The old, our identity was sin. That's what it means. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But I'm still struggling with the old. Yes, you are, but that's not who you are anymore. And now in Christ, you could start to say no to this or see victory to this. Or do the thing you don't feel like doing. That's the thing I haven't acknowledged very much. I mentioned a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago when someone asked me the question, what if I just don't feel attracted to the opposite sex? How can I get married? Your attraction to the opposite sex isn't the basis for marriage. It's the command of God that this is what he calls. It's, it's a great blessing that, that he builds in these attractions, but the attractions are definitely skewed. And even if you're attracted to the opposite sex, you will have issues sexually anyways because of sin in that marriage. You cannot base marriage on your sexual attraction to somebody. That's not the basis for marriage. Not even the top three. There are other purposes for marriage that are more important than that. Uh, the, the, the culture's telling you otherwise. If you don't feel sexually attracted to someone, you should... That is not, that is, sexual attraction is never the basis for anything. No desire or affection is the basis for any principal thing God gives us. They feed in, they have effect, but that's not the reason you choose a mate. So if you, even if you're not attracted to the opposite sex, you could still be married, and God can bless that and give you um, feelings and senses you haven't had before because it's the marital relationship that he gives. I, I know multiple people in these situations. And it's... it's, it's a true testimony of the way God works with his institution of marriage to bless people in it, even though they struggle with that area. There are multiple areas of marriage. Um, so I say that to, to point out this issue of identity and following what God tells us to do, who we are, and what he calls us to do, no matter how we feel about it. Um, a lot more can be said about that, but I think it's a good starting point. Check yourself if your answer is always, I'm not attracted to the... Okay, in the Genesis account, where does it say that in particular? Or any of the accounts about marriage, that that's the issue that's the starting point for discerning marriage, biblical marriage. Okay, with that, there's the next statement. There is a difference between speaking about phenomenological facet of a person's sin-stained reality and employing the language of sinful desires as a personal identity marker. So you can discuss the reality of what you're struggling with. That's different from saying that's who I am. There's a difference, you gotta, and you have to be wise about how you use that terminology. Um, and I think it's especially wise, some will say, well, when I'm trying to communicate with the world, I, I have to, they don't understand that language. Well, the world isn't your concern on that level. The world needs the gospel, and it doesn't need you to change words to get to the gospel. That's the big farce that I hear people talk about all the time, that, that you know, the world can't handle, I, I won't get into this, but I saw a recent post, uh, because it was, it was an analysis of something a liberal Catholic television character said. It had nothing to do with the gospel, what he said, it just had something to do with the basis of God being, you know, God existing. And some well-known evangelical people said, this is, how you, this is how you are witness to the world who can't handle, 
you know, a different kind of message. Well, I'm sorry, world, but the message you need is that you're going to hell, and so you need Christ. So this message the guy gave wasn't a gospel message. Now, maybe it made, got someone's attention, but I think we fail to recognize that, that getting friendly with the world so they might hear the gospel, you never get to the gospel if you're too friendly with the world. It's just the nature of it. They don't want you to get to the gospel. Being friendly to them is not telling them the gospel. Uh, more can be said, but I want us to realize that the answer to why we use the lingo we use cannot be so that people in the world accept what I'm saying. Um, what we're saying is countercultural. The whole Christian message is countercultural, not just this one. So, um, no, God in his grace, when the church speaks truth, has impacts on cultures. He just, and that's what we hope for and pray for. But he may or may not do that. But we just be the church and, and, and let God do the, what he's going to do through the church in the world around us. That's the point. Um, being honest about how we're feeling is what we should do in the context of the church. It's what we're struggling with. But we're not um, labeling ourselves by this as our identity, as the, the thing that we start out with. Now, what do I mean by this? Am I just, you know, what are some specifics? Well, in this particular area, all these various labels I've heard taken by people who would profess to be side B. They're Christians um, who say they don't participate in the outward act of homosexuality, but they use all these terms to describe themselves. Gay, side B, sexual minorities, same-sex attracted, trans, uh, straight sibli- my straight siblings, they'll talk about, uh, mixed orientation marriages between someone who struggles with this. They'll, they'll, they'll use these labels. Um, queer, LGBTQ, single and celibate, um, in, in, this, uh, this assortment of sexual identities, none of these are found in this sense in the scriptures at all to describe people. My, my straight siblings, you know, they even label people who, you know, what does this even mean, straight siblings? Like, like a person could not fall into any other kind of sin? I mean, who's straight in that sense? Like even calling someone straight is, is, is presumptuous. None of us are straight, by the way. We're all screwed up. That's what we really are. You know what I'm saying. Advocates of these monikers for identity argue that using these labels helps a person accept themselves. That's the other thing. Not only the world. If they call themselves this, it helps them feel more comfortable with themselves. Um, Self-acceptance has become part of this process in the gay Christian movement. Um, who I, uh, The lady I referred to earlier, Ann Kennedy, said, self-acceptance is a term that is as troubling as gay Christian or sexual minority. The scripture doesn't point Christians to themselves to consider their own identity, self-acceptance, but always and everywhere points them to Christ. People should not be called straight Christians any more than they should be called gay Christians. We are Christians in Christ. That's who we are. And my acceptance isn't about self-acceptance. It's about God accepting me in Christ. Final statement. Moreover, we recognize that some secondary identities, when not rooted in sinful desire or struggles against the flesh, that can be legitimately affirmed along with our primary identity as Christians. That's what I was saying earlier. For example, the distinctions between male and female or between various nationalities and people groups are not eradicated in becoming Christians, but serve to magnify the glory of God and his plan of salvation. And what, it, what the, the report means to point out is the scripture gives other identities that are very important, like God created man in his own image, the image of God he created, male and female. These are identifying features that the Bible gives. Um, husbands and wives. Paul says, or Peter says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands and wives are differentiated and identified as part of God's plan. 
the tribes and the nations of the world are noted. Um, and they sang a new song, worthy are you to take up the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood you ransomed a people from, of God, uh, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Uh, further, in Revelation, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne. So there are identifying features about where we come from in the, in the nations. Um, these are things that God uses to describe what heaven will look like in all the different people groups that will be there. So it, this is not just nullifying all other kinds of, of identities. It's just pointing out um, the unbiblical nature and the unhelpful nature of labeling oneself based on a sin desire that we have or an outward activity that we engage in or have trouble with uh, lust towards. I'll close with a statement from Ann Kennedy once again. As she says uh, so well in this paper that I'm referring to, critics of the gay celibate Christian or side B movement are trying to say when they disagree with the term gay Christian that biblical, the biblical conception of self does not bid a person to be self-accepting in the sense meant by our culture today, nor does the Bible have a category for gay Christian. It is the death, the loss, the relinquishing of the self into the hands of Jesus that gives eternal life. We give, Lord, take me. I'm yours. I have to have you. For, for salvation, which is the most important thing. That encompasses sexuality, but even more, it encompasses everything, Kennedy writes. To an unbelieving world, this looks not only like hatred and bigotry, but like an impossibility. But letting go of the self is not hatred. It's what it means to follow Christ. It is worship. It is to be caught up by the one who created all things, who knows whereof they are made. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time, this class we've had. I pray that you would, you would uh, help us to mull over the scriptural truths that are mentioned. And if there's anything that I have said that is not in accord with your word, I pray that everyone here would just forget it, not even remember what I said, but just cling to what is true, what you have given us in your holy word through Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen.